Psalm 104 and 105 are rather lengthy, and yet uh, there's a lot we can see in them. Uh, We'll go as far as we can in these two. But we start out in Psalm 104. This is a psalm of creation. It tells of God's uh, power and creation. And as a result, the psalmist is praising God for His mighty power. And it's a meditation upon His power and His providence. And it speaks of His glory being eternal. And so the psalmist starts out and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. We had that in the 103rd Psalm. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God. Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Now notice, he praises God, first of all, because God is great. God is so great. Great means vast, mighty. It has so many words to describe it that we're not able really to, but great the greatness of God is beyond our description anyway. But in Genesis 17, verse 1, God told Abraham, He says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Uh, in Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So that makes Him great. He's a great creator of all things. And really, that's we say it, and we quote it, and we read it, and we hear it preached, but that's beyond our comprehension. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That everything that is made was made by God. We was talking this morning in Sunday school about uh, someone saying, well, where did God come from? You know, the scientists say, well, you have to prove where He came from. Prove where God came from. Can you prove where matter came from? And yet they accept the fact that, you know, this came out of wood. All this mechanism came out of someone's intelligence that, that made it and put it together and caused this to be a microphone and caused you to hear over it. It didn't just throw a bunch of pieces out here in the junkyard and they assemble together and you start hearing uh, the voice over these microphones and loudspeakers. Doesn't. Well, where did matter come from? If they want to be real scientific, they can't explain that either. And they say, well, well you know, you have to have an explanation for everything. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we only we accept it by faith. And really, uh, skeptics and the ones that uh, some of the people, now there's true science and there's such a thing as false science, so-called as Paul refers to, those that do not believe in the Creator. We have to accept some things by faith, and our faith reaches out and grabs hold of the Word of God, and we believe that when God said, let there be light, there was light. And uh, God created everything. He's a great God because He's the God of creation. They cannot explain and they don't have a scientific answer as to where, as to what, where matter came from any more than they have a scientific answer for where God came from. And there's no proof of either. You have to accept both by faith that there's matter in this world, physical, literal, substance that you can lay hold upon. And you have to accept the fact that God was in the beginning, and you have to accept both of them by faith. Both of them by faith. Uh, Revelation 1.8, Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's in reference to Christ who was made flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It says in verse uh, 2, Who covers thyself with light as with a garment. His garments of light are spoken of. He clothes himself with garments. 
of light, or light as a garment, who covers thyself with light as with a garment. God is light, in Him there's, there's no darkness at all. And God not only has light covering Him, but He is the one that says, and let there be light, and there was light. He gave light. He gave light to the world, and He also gives light to us. The Bible says that Jesus is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In Him was uh, light, and the light was the light. Uh, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. It says the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. That's why the darkness of this world does not comprehend uh, Christ, because it's in darkness. And it, uh, who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He just stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He encloses himself with a curtain. And he uses the heavens to be that curtain. We used to hang curtains down in the basement and separate classes years ago. We had some track up on the ceiling. We'd pull it around in this track to separate classes when we had classes down there. Of course, you could hear through there. Each teacher could hear the other one. But it still wasn't as confusing as people might think because the children got interested in their own uh, lesson, known class. But God stretches a curtain around Himself and around the whole world who layeth the beams of His chambers in the waters. Here's His spiritual nature. And then the beams of His house are made of sunbeams who layeth the beams of His chambers and in the waters. His chariot is made of clouds who maketh the clouds His chariot. He rides upon the clouds like a chariot. He walks upon the wind who walketh upon the wings of the wind. Talk about God's spiritual nature. The Bible says God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. By the way, and both are just as important. A person says, well, I worship God in spirit. Well, do you worship God in truth? Or do you worship God in something that just flies across your mind and in some man-made way that is not of truth? If you truly worship God, you worship God in truth. He says, Jesus said, For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. He that worships Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. Okay? So, uh, notice in verse um, 4, Who maketh His angels spirits, His ministers of flaming fire. The Bible says in Hebrews 1, 7, And of the angels He saith, Who maketh His angels spirits and His ministers of flame of fire. And in verse 14 of the same chapter in Hebrews, I believe it is, chapter 1, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? So they're sent forth to minister for those of God's children who shall be inheritors or heirs of salvation. Angels minister to us in an unseen and unknown way to man, in a spiritual aspect, in a spiritual way. And it doesn't mean that you have someone that some angel that appears to you with a bright uh, halo around his head and, and wings out here and like uh, a lot of the pictures you see of man's imagination about angels. But it does mean that they're real, personal individuals that are protectors of God's people. And we do not see them when they minister. It would be well if we could see them. I mean, we'd enjoy that, wouldn't we? We would like it. Remember old Elisha when he was compassed about with the Syrian army and, and his servant became very afraid and he says, uh, Master says there's a whole host of the enemy round about us. He says, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Well, 
the servant looked and he and Elisha where how come there's two of us and there's a whole army out there and so Elisha says I, he prayed to God and he says Lord I pray you open this young man's eyes that he may see him he opened his eyes and there were horses and chariots of fire all round about Elisha and the heavenly army the Bible says the angel of the Lord encamped round about the angel encamped round about them that feared him and they're there as our protectors they have protected us in the past. In spite of what, uh, what we do not see, we, that protection is there. There's been many a times I've been driving down the road. You know, I'd be going down the road somewhere and, and look off just for an instant and almost cause myself to have a terrible accident. And some way the Lord would just work it out to where it didn't happen. And I believe that God just used all of the spiritual forces and powers to prevent that accident. And there's been time and time again in my life and in yours that He's prevented things happening to us in a protective way. It says they're roundabout or garrisoned about. The word garrison means that He's there as an army of protection for us. And so we're going down. Let's look at the next verse. It says, "...who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever." Some people talk about the earth disappearing. The earth is going to the earth is going to remain forever. Someone says, I thought it's going to be disappearing. Yes, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, but God is going to renovate this one, this planet on which we dwell now. And it will be uh, purified by fire. It was cleansed by water at one time in Noah's day. The next time it's going to be purified by fire. And uh, the Bible tells us that uh, us of that in the book of Second Peter. And it says, uh, Thou coverest it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. We find that uh, He founded the earth upon His Word. He spoke and it came into being. And then He started making things have the order that He would have them to have. And He covered the earth with water. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. Let me read this for you. It says, For this they willingly ignorant, is speaking of the scoffers that that uh, put down God's creation. And it says, For this they willingly ignored of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. How were the heavens of old? By the word of God. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the, the world uh, that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the judgment, day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So God is going to to judge the world with a fiery judgment in the future. But back to our creation story in the psalm. Notice it says in verse um, 7, At thy rebuke they fled, at the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. He divided the waters. Remember when God spoke, He divided the waters. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys, unto the place which thou hast founded for them. They go up by the mountains down by the valleys. He makes the water go up and downhill. Uphill as well as downhill. You know, we see it only going one way, but God has it go both ways. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 7. It says this, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. So they have to run down in the sea. But it says, Under the place from whence the rivers came, come, thither they return again. God has a way of making their return. It's in the Hebrew, it says return to go. 
So they go back so that they can come back again. So the waters in the sea eventually end up through God's process of taking them up into the heavens, dropping them down on the earth again, and they run down the rivers again, and they go back into the sea again. See, God has a wonderful process, doesn't he? But he's the only one that can make it do that. You and I pour the water in a, a trough or something and try to make it run uphill, and it'll come back on the swamp. But God has a way of taking it up and turning it back and letting it come back down again and circulating it all around because he's God. And you and I are men. And he set laws of nature that we have to abide by, but yet he's not bound by them. He can do anything he wants to do. And in his creation, he made it so that it looks like it's impossible, but it's possible with God. Notice verse uh, 8. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. And then in verse 9. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. God sets a boundary for them. And they obey His voice. They obey His boundary that He has set. They do not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. Look in Jeremiah 5, verse 22. Let me read this for you. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 22. It says, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for a bound of the sea by a perpetual degree? He put the sand out there. Been out to the ocean, the edge of the ocean, where the sand is. It says, He put the sand for a bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it. And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. Well, you say, well, what about a hurricane? Yes, but it comes in and it blows and it goes back and it goes back to its shoreline, doesn't it? And that sand of the sea is the boundary for that ocean through the process of, of uh, the tide coming in and out. It varies from time to time. But it's still there, isn't it? God is saying He put the ocean there and we're not going to have the ocean up here on Sarah Blanca. It's just not going to be there because He set a boundary. Now then, God has put all these things in order. He has the power of creation, doesn't He? And then, let's notice something else. If you'll look down in verse uh, 10 and 11. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run uh, among the hills. Springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field, and the wild asses quench their thirst. In Isaiah 41, verse 18, let me read this verse for you. It says, I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. God is able to do all of this. He has a natural water supply. And then even the birds and the beasts are provided with the, uh, the supply that God has given. He has a natural water supply system for all this earth. Verse 12 says, By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. Even the birds have been provided for, haven't they? Remember Jesus said, Foxes have the holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. Verse 13, He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. The hills are watered from his chambers, or clouds. We wonder where the rain comes from. God sends it. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It says, He gave rain from heaven in Acts 14, verse 17. And by the way, when the snow comes, it won't be due to some, some uh, Nordic God that it comes either. It'll be because God Almighty sends it. 
you know, they're going to have a meeting this Wednesday and sacrifice and burn stuff to the <laughs> to the Nordic God, the ski God you read in the newspaper. Well, if it happens, it's not going to be because they did that. We're expecting one anyway. We're expecting God Almighty to send it. And it won't be because of some mythological ritual and sacrifice that's done by any man or some rain or snow dance that's done. It's all because that when God gets ready, He'll send the snow. And it's up to Him. And by the way, people are always getting excited here in Riodosa. They say, well, you know what? It used to always snow. Back in October and November, it didn't always do that. I've lived here since 1927, and I've seen a lot of winters just like this one. It didn't always do that. But since they got the ski course, they expected it to snow in October every year so they could open it by Thanksgiving, be sure and open it by Thanksgiving. Well, you know, it, it has happened, and it does happen many times. I've seen it snow, a big snow in September. I've seen a big one in May. But, you know, you don't always see it. And it's up to the Lord to give it, and it's not something that happens all the time, and they got this think snow business as if you thinking snow will make it snow. Well, you know, just because you think it doesn't make it happen. Isn't it peculiar? People are funny, aren't they? I tell you, they think that just if you get it in your mind, it's going to happen. If it's in God's mind, it'll happen. But anyway, God has the power of all these things. I want you to look down in verse uh, 13 again. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit uh, of thy works. In uh, verse uh, 14, he provides for both man and beast. Look at this. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the herd for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. So he provides for man and beast himself. It says, As for the earth, in Job uh, 28, verse 5, As for the earth, out of it cometh bread. And in uh, verse 15, he says, And wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. He even provides for our joy and for our happiness. All the provision that we have at need of comes from God. He has choice trees which are given special care. Look verse 16 and 17. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon. You know, the cedars of Lebanon are the uh, tall and stately trees that are spoken of so much in the Bible. Which he hath planted, where the birds make their nest, and the, as for the stork, the fir tree trees are her house. So he has choice trees that you give in special care. In verse 18, the high hills are a refuge for the wild goats, and the rocks for the conies. The conies are uh, actually referred to in uh, the book of Proverbs in uh, chapter. 30 and verse 26, the conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. They want a sound shelter, by the way. If they've got enough sense to make their houses in the rocks, you and I ought to make our house in the rocks, the rock Christ Jesus. In that passage in the book of Proverbs, uh, it's a very, by the way, that uh, those conies are sometimes called uh, uh, Arabian mice or rock rabbits in some people's definition. And there are things that are little and exceeding wise that he speaks of in this passage in Proverbs. In verse 24, there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are but are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. That's foresight, isn't it? Foresight. 
The conies are but a feeble folk, yet they make their houses in the rocks. That means that they they have a, uh, the safety of a sound shelter. And then it says, The locusts have no king, yet they go forth all of them by bands. That's organization. The triumph of organization. And then the spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. palaces. That's persistency. I have a message there. The achievements of foresight, like the ants. The safety of the sound shelter, like the conies. And the... Uh, triumph of organization that's like the locust and then the the persistency or the success of persistency like that's like the spider if we had all these things as a church and as christians going for us we'd really have have it made wouldn't we and even though we're classified and they were classified as a feeble folk yet they came out victorious over everything didn't they because they were filled with wisdom the ant prepares his meat in the summer that's foresight what do you do the Bible says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. And he prepares his meat in the summer, the same language as you. Someone says, Well, what am I going to do when winter comes? Well, did you cut some firewood during the summertime? Put it in the stove? Did you uh, put, put some groceries back? Did you put any canned goods up when you had a chance to, to put some pears and peaches and stuff in the jars? Did you prepare for the future? Foresight. That's foresight. You say, well, Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. He said, do not be over-anxious for the things of tomorrow. He said, take no thought for tomorrow. And that's what he's talking about, being over-anxious and worrying about it. But he didn't say, do not prepare for it. And he said, consider the lilies of the field. And he said, consider the birds of the air. And he says, none of these sow nor reap in preparing for the, the, their provisions of either food or clothing. Or shelter. But we do sow and reap, do we not? And if we sow and reap, we ought to have the foresight to do something with it. So God's Word doesn't mean... I mean, when Jesus said, Be not over-anxious for tomorrow, He didn't say, Just throw up your hands and say, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow a bit. I'm not going to go out to the grocery store. I'm not going to buy any food. I'm just going to expect the Lord to put it on some kind of a sheet and send it down from heaven. And I'll eat it and I'll let Him clean up the dishes and take the sheet back up. He's not going to do that. You know, He's just not going to do that. Because He's given you some knowledge of how to manage things. And so, uh, there's provision, isn't there? The high hills, back in our psalm, in verse uh, chapter 104, verse 18, it says, The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. And we said that that passage in the book of, of uh, Proverbs 30 tells us that the conies find the safety uh, in the rocks of a sound shelter. And by the way, we ought to have a sound shelter in Jesus Christ, shouldn't we? And we do have a sound shelter. The rock of ages. And the story that both uh, Randy and Brother uh, Nichols referred to a while ago, remember it was Moses. He said, hide me in the cliff of the... God said, I'll hide you in the cliff of the rock. And when my glory passes by. I'll cover you with my hand. And so we sing a song, Rock of Ages, cliff for me, let me hide myself in thee. Of course, they both were referring to that in their uh, illustration. So, the rock, the rock of ages. Let me give you another reference in uh, Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25, and let's see if I can find it. It says in verse 3 and 4, I mean 26, I rather, I got it wrong. 
Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. My, what a wonderful verse. And then we'll read the next one in a moment. But do you know if if you're disturbed, stay your mind upon the Lord. Think about God. And let God settle your mind. And then trust, because he trusteth in thee. Put your faith in God. And then it says, trust ye in the Lord forever. Do it all time. And from now on. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Notice that. In the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And the marginal reference says, the rock of ages. That strength that's referred to is the rock of ages. In the Lord Jehovah is the rock of ages. There's the place that we're to hide it for shelter in the rock and for safety and security. Back in uh, Psalm 104, verse 19, He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. He provided a timepiece that never runs down, a calendar and a clock. You know, we get these clocks and they run down or something breaks about them. But God says, I'm going to appoint the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Remember the old sundials that were referred to. And the, he made the, these for times and for seasons. They form a calendar. Genesis 1.14, he set them in action. And he said the sun will rule the day and the greater, the greater light will rule the day and the lesser light, the moon, will rule the night, shine in the night. And by the way, he says, and I'm just going to throw in something extra, he made the stars also. See, that's the way God is. Says, I'll give you all that you need, and then I'm going to throw these in extra so they can twinkle and shine up in the heavens. And then it says in verse 20, Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. Even creeping things have the cover of darkness to seek their prey. Look, the young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. And he provides, he provides also a place of rest for them. There is a place of rest even for the lions. Look at this. It says, The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. They go out and seek their prey, and then they lay themselves down in their dens. They, they find a need for rest. You know you and I need a place of rest, and it's not just a bed to sleep on. I was looking out here, and that's good. We need that, that place of rest. We need a bed. We need a house. We need roof overhead, shelter clothing we need a bed and that's a place of physical rest I was looking out here tonight before uh, the service and I was thinking of each and every individual life some have to work away from home I was thinking of Brian he lives in Las Cruces works up here at the post office various other ones you know our lives are not always planned and fixed like we would like them to be exactly and, but on the other hand we need spiritual rest all of us can have that, whether our physical rest, we know we sing a song, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, and there are various kinds of houses and dwelling places that we have to live in. But we have a mansion over the hilltop, right? But we, ha- we need really spiritual rest, and you know where that comes from? Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Whatever burden you have on your heart, Whatever there is there that's burdening you down, Jesus says, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, then I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
You've heard me expound that time and time again. The first rest He gives to you. The next one in His service, you find it. You find it by being in God's service. Some people have taken that rest that's given to them and they never find that rest in serving God. And his, He says, My yoke is easy. My service is easy. And my burden is light. I'm not going to lay on you a heavy load that you cannot bear. Did you know every preacher, every deacon, every Sunday school teacher, every Christian, every layman, every person that's a child of God can work and serve the Lord without a heavy burden? God doesn't lay you heavy. He says His, His commandments are not grievous. He gives us a responsibility. That's a different thing. But He gives us the wherewithal to do it. He gives you the ability to do it. The Bible says, and God, listen carefully, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, now listen to the last part of that statement, may abound to every good work. You get that? He's going to give you the sufficiency that you may have all sufficiency in all things, that you may abound unto every good work. Have you ever heard people say, well, I do this good work, but I'm not able? God says He's able to make His grace abound, that you'll have all sufficiency in all things that you may abound unto every good work. Now then, there's none of us are going to go out here and save the whole world. uh, The United States of America is not going to feed the whole earth. All the people that are starving in the world. Well, we've tried to several times. We've seen where it ended up. And it's not a good policy anyway. Every man has a responsibility. And we know that there are sad circumstances and terrible circumstances in some parts of the world, and usually it's because of political uh, power that's in force in those nations where the famines are so great because they haven't had anyone that would oversee them in the proper way and, and tell them that they needed to work and provide the wherewithal for them to do it and, and the wisdom of leadership. But uh, nevertheless, it is there. And we're going to have them always. And Jesus speaks of places where there will be famines and and different things. But uh, the thing about it is, God expects all of us to have rest in our heart, whether we have all the other things or not. So there's a place of rest provided even for beast creation. Look at that again. It says, The sun arises, verse 22, the sun arises, they gather themselves together and lay themselves down in their dens. It says, Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. It's man's turn now to work. The beasts of the forest creep out in the night, and man labors during the day. So it's man's turn. He goeth forth unto his labor. The Lord expects men to work for their food as well as beasts uh, must seek theirs. Genesis 3.19 says, In the sweat of thy face, God told Adam, Shalt thou eat bread? In the sweat of thy face. In Exodus 20, verse 9, it says, Six days shalt thou labor. Some people say, Well, I, I, you know, God's word, word says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Yes, it, it says that. But it also says, Six days shalt thou labor. Did you know that? It says, Six days shalt thou labor. So there's a flip side to that, isn't it? We're not only to rest on the Sabbath day, but we're to work on the other days. And the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10, Paul tells concerning the Thessalonians, if any would not work, neither should he eat. Well, if we put that into practice today, things would be different, wouldn't they? 
And uh, verse 24, look at this. It says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom thou hast, in wisdom hast thou made, made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. God's wisdom is displayed in his great works of variety. Look how it says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. He has a variety of works. It says in Proverbs 3.19, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. Do you think that God, in all of His wisdom, just uh, by accident founded the earth? It says the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. There's a wise and all-knowing God behind everything that we see or know uh, to be today. There's a wise and all-knowing God about ourselves. He made man in His own image and His own likeness. He breathed into man's nostril the breath of life, and it says lives, plural. And man became a living soul, different from all animal creation. And man is different than all of other creation. And he's exceedingly wonderfully made. And if we think of what God has done for us, how manifold are thy works. It was no accident that we are made as we are, and have the bodily functions we have, and have the spirit, spiritual nature that we have, and we have the the moral capacity and the spiritual capacity that we have. And man, there's something about man that makes him uh, desire to know God in spite of the fact that he's sinful, that he's never satisfied until he, until he comes to put his faith and trust in God because he knows he needs more than he has to offer, than any man has to offer. Isn't it amazing how that men think that you know, we think we can solve everyone else's problems in the world. We think we'll just go out and we'll give them a better environment to live in. We'll clean, up the, we'll clean up their house and we'll clean up their yard. We'll give them a good house to live in. We'll give them food on the table and a little bit of money in the bank and say, okay, now, you're on your own. Everything will be okay. It won't. They'll end right back to the first place they were. The house will get dirty. The yard will be overflowed with weeds. The money will be spent in the bank, and they'll still, still be searching around for what to do, and they'll still be dissatisfied because only in God is true satisfaction. And we find that people are seeking every way in the world to satisfy themselves, and they're seeking in the wrong direction. It says, work out your own salvation. You can't work out your own salvation if you don't have any with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you both to, to will and to do of His good pleasure. So... And let's go on down to this. It says, um, O Lord, verse 24, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. When people look around and cannot see that the earth is full of God's riches, they're blind and cannot see. Look at verse 25. So is this great and wide sea, wherein, wherein all things creeping innumerable, both small and, and great beasts, some people say that we should have been exploring the, the ocean instead of the, the outer space. There was one doctor who used to live here said, we have more riches in the ocean than we do up there. Well, that probably, as far as humanity is concerned and mankind is concerned, that's true. But uh, he says here, So is this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein, Leviathan. Even the great sea is filled with various forms of life. Back in the book of Job, chapter 41, it says, 
Canst thou draw out Levithan with an hook? Some people refer to him as a crocodile or an alligator. In the marginal reference, it says a whale or a whirlpool, Levithan. Up in uh, verse uh, 15 of the 40th chapter, it says, Behold, now Behemoth, or the elephant, as some think, and some think the rhinoceros. But both on the earth, land and on the, in the sea are great sea monsters or great monsters that man has no power to actually control them. But God has given these various forms of life. And the sea is vi- filled with these various forms of life. Look at verse 27. 104 verse 27. These wait all upon thee that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. Even they, as mighty as they are, the crocodile, the alligator, or if you want to call it the whale, or the one that uh, makes a whirlpool, and there are various thoughts about it and various words used to describe and to define which is meant. But on the other hand, whatever it may be that's referred to, God gives them their meat in due season. He feeds everything, whether small or great. It says, Thou gavest them, thou that thou givest them, they gather. When God gives it, they gather. Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. All are dependent upon God. If we know that all of creation and all of animal creation is dependent upon God, why do we not consider ourselves to be dependent upon God? Why do we think that we've got it made without God? If all of nature besides man reaches out and depends upon God to feed them in whatever way He has chosen, whatever methods He has chosen for them to be fed, then why do we think that we can go through life and not depend upon God with whatever method He uses and means He uses to feed us? See, God is in control of all of it. It says, That thou givest them, they gather. And openest thy hand, they are filled with good. And sometimes God withholds those necessary things. Look at verse 29. Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You see, there are times when the Lord withholds His blessings. And that's His business to do that. He has a purpose in doing it. He has a purpose in taking away His breath. The Bible says if God would gather His breath, let me read it for you. In the book of Job, chapter uh, 34, verse 14 and 15. It says, if he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath. If God gathers unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again into dust. God gave us his spirit and his breath and we live. If God gathers it back, we die. Just simple as that. Someone said, well, you know, we can do this to prolong men's lives. Well, when God's time comes and when God calls them home and when God takes away that breath of life and that life-giving force that He's given to our physical being, we die. And by the way, it's same true as far as spiritual life is concerned because God is the giver of spiritual life. When God said to Adam, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Actually, the word there means dying. In the marginal reference, in the Hebrew, it says dying, thou shalt die. In other words, you will, be, you will be dying in the process of dying physically, and thou shalt die in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Death is separation from God. Spiritual death. Physical death is separation of the soul and the body. Uh, soul and the spirit from the body, I should say. And eternal death is separation of soul, body, and spirit from God. So there's 
physical death. I mean, there's spiritual death, there's physical death, and there's eternal death. And so we are dying physically because of sin. But we can be alive spiritually and not die spiritually because God can give us a spiritual reunion with Himself. And we do not have to remain in a a state of spiritual death. He can give us spiritual life, in which He does. And then, though this body dies, we still have spiritual life. And we go to be with God. We have eternal life. And if we have that spiritual life and are with God, we'll never suffer that eternal death that is spoken of. It says this is the second death. Okay, let's go on. Our time is gone. We'll quickly get the rest of these verses. It says, uh, verse 31, The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in His works. And He will. The Lord looketh on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills, and they smoke. Look at the power of God. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God. Notice he says, my God. While I have my being, just one look of anger and all creation trembles. His great works merit our adoration and praise. And look at this. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Should we not meditate in the Lord and let it be sweet to us? It says, let the sinners be consumed out of the earth. And let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. All those who ignore his claims and ignore him will be consumed. 